Welcome into another edition of the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net, and your host each and every week for the WSN podcast right here on Wisports.net and on your platform of choice, be it iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, iHeart, wherever else we are. We're glad that you join in. We're glad that you listen in. And we are uh, excited to be able to get to Camp Randall Stadium this week. It's obviously the culmination of a long process, a long season, a long uh, going back many months for teams and players to get to this point, to get ready to compete for a state championship. We have some outstanding games, some outstanding storylines that we're looking forward to at Camp Randall at the state championships. And we'll get to a preview of the uh, state finals in just a moment. But before we do that, we're going to talk a little bit of uh, postseason awards because it is getting to be that time of the year where awards are starting to trickle out, are starting to come out. And as you saw on Wisports.net this week, on Monday, the Wisconsin Football Coaches Association announced its all-state teams, its player of the years, uh, players of the year as well. And then uh, today, Wednesday, at WSN, we announced our WSN Senior Football Award winners. So just want to go through the process a little bit, go through the selections, what, uh, what ended up happening, and uh, just chat a little bit about some of the, uh, the, the major award winners from this year. And we'll start with the WFCA All-State Team. Um, this is the second year that the WFCA has presented a small school and large school All-State Team, a change that was made to uh, accommodate and allow representation and recognition for some of the uh, small school kids that oftentimes get overlooked and over, um, you know, just kind of lost in the shuffle between behind some of the big school kids and you know, give a chance to compare um, a little bit more apples to apples between a, uh, you know, s- small school kids and uh, some of their brethren. So again, second year presenting large school and small school all state selections. The way the process works is it, it actually begins back at the all conference meeting. So every conference around the state has an all conference meeting. At that all conference meeting, obviously they vote on all conference, but There's also a conference rep for the WFCA at each conference meeting, and the the, the conference coaches decide which first-team all-conference players they would like to advance for consideration at the all-region level for the WFCA. Not all first-team all-conference players are automatically advanced. Some conferences nominate, you know, four or five kids total. Some conferences uh, nominate... Quite a bit more than that. It's kind of up to the conference, up to the coaches on who they feel should be advanced forward, but it does have a stipulation that it does have to be a first-team all-conference selection. So from there, uh, the WFCA groups all teams in the state into eight regions. It used to be all eight were mixed up between large and small schools and just kind of spread all over the state. Now there are four regions for small schools, four regions for large schools. And so the players that were uh, selected to advance through the uh, all-conference process are advanced to the all-region meeting, and a rep for each conference in that region attends the meeting and uh, presents the nominees 
the uh, coaches vote there. Each conference rep, each conference essentially, gets a vote. So if there's six teams in that particular region, there's six coaches that vote. One rep from each conference. They vote for the all-region team. And then from there, some of the all-region selections, not all of them, some of them are advanced for consideration at the all-state level. Those all-region meetings are held, uh, they were held this year, the the first week in November, um, which I guess was actually Halloween week, so it was kind of the last weekend, week in uh, October. Uh, actually, no, it was the first week in November, I'm sorry. So those were held uh, around the state, and again, uh, representatives there selected which players to advance for all-state consideration. Those players that advanced for all-state consideration, their nomination information from their high school coaches, which is the same information that goes through every step of the process. You know, it's their uh, their stats information, which is based on the information entered on wisports.net. It is comments from the coaches. It is uh, evaluations from the coaches. It is uh, height and weight information, their uh, measurables, their team stats to, to get a feel for you know, how the team did and, and just give a little bit more context. All that information is advanced then to the all-state level. At the all-state level, there are 20 uh, region reps, or excuse me, 18 region reps around the state that uh, are presented with that information and the WFCA executive board reviews it. And then uh, the players that advanced for all-state consideration are voted on. And those are the players that make all-state or Honorable mention all state, and generally to receive a uh, honorable mention all state nod, uh, a player has to receive at least one vote from someone uh, to receive the honorable mention recognition, and that's what was announced on Monday: the all state teams, the honorable mention selections, and then the players of the year. Uh, there are three to four nominees selected for large school offensive, large school defense, small school offense, small school defense. Um, three to four nominees total selected by the WFCA, and then the uh, the region reps vote on those for the players of the year as well. So that's just a little outline of the process, and there's always some questions about, well, why didn't this kid get it, or why is this kid off, and what have you, and, and my uh, recommendation is always to circle back, and uh, if you have a question, ask the, uh, ask the high school coach if they were nominated first of all, because there are a lot of times that the uh, the snubs, if you will, um, that or or people that feel that uh, you know their kid wasn't selected. Um, a lot of times they weren't first team all conference, or maybe they were first team all conference, but they weren't advanced for consideration at the all region level. And if you're not all region, or if you're not nominated for all region, you can't be all state. So uh, you know it, there is a process to it, and and again, sometimes people are kind of curious why. XYZ player didn't didn't get here or there, and that's kind of how it breaks down. Um, you know, I think very deserving selections for the players of the year that were announced. Tyler Tanner was the small school offensive player of the year. That was a pretty landslide vote. Uh, he broke the all-time rushing record in the state of Wisconsin, had an outstanding senior year, obviously had an outstanding junior year as well, sophomore campaign. Very deserving selection there. The small school defensive player of the year was a landslide as well, almost unanimous, I believe for Ben Barton from Stratford. Uh, obviously, their defense this year has been incredible. Didn't allow a point for the first 12 games of the year. The large school selections were a little bit tougher. 
to be quite honest with you. Uh, not only you know who is going to win it, uh, but also what players should be nominated. If you look at uh, some of the, the top players in the state, some of the ones that finished in on the All-State team for the large schools, some very good players, but there wasn't necessarily a lot of separation uh, between you know the, the top quarterback and the sixth or seventh quarterback, the top running back and the eighth or tenth running back. So it was difficult to uh, identify who were going to be the top selections, going to be some of the nominees or, or top consideration for player of the year, especially on offense at the large school level. But ultimately, Isaiah Gash from Bayport, the running back, did get selected by the WFCA as a uh, as the offensive player of the year. He did miss a couple games this year due to injury. They did uh, rest him quite a bit in the second half of a lot of the blowouts, but he really has come on in the playoffs. I believe he's over 800 yards in four playoff games coming in to the state championships. Defense was very, very close. Uh, it did end up going to Hunter Wohler, a junior defensive back from Muskego. Um, I don't believe the full list is out, but from what I understand, he was the defensive player of the year in the Classic 8 Conference. And uh, very close vote. Um, you know, there were some other outstanding candidates. You had... Uh, a couple defensive ends, defensive linemen that were in that mix, Max Musen from Bayport, uh, Gavin Meyer from Franklin, you know, some other linebackers that maybe got some consideration. Uh, but it was uh, it was a tight one. Came right down to the end, uh, from what I understand, uh, in the voting. But Hunter Wooler selected as the Defensive Player of the Year, a junior. And I haven't had a chance to go back and, and look at all of the information, but I don't recall a junior earning Player of the Year recognition from the WFCA, at least in quite some time. Uh, it, it is. It would have been quite a while, uh, I believe. So those were the All-State selections. Those were the Players of the Year as announced and selected by the Wisconsin Football Coaches Association. There is another All-State team that will come out, the Associated Press. That's usually a, a three to four weeks after the state finals that they put that information together. Their, their process obviously is a little different. The way they select the teams is a little different. Um, but that will come out soon as well. There are some other uh, kind of ancillary player of the year awards that are out there that, uh, quite honestly, I, I, I don't give a ton of uh, credence to. They're oftentimes picked by people from out of the state that sit at a desk in Maryland or Connecticut or whatever and uh, you know don't really have a, uh, too much of an idea of what's going on in the state and just you know kind of throw darts at a dartboard in a lot of ways. That uh, what is not throwing darts at a dartboard, though, I think, I, I like to think, is our senior football awards and the process that we go through at WSN. Uh, as you have seen over the years and as you saw this year, uh, it's kind of a multi-layered process where we have a preseason watch list that we pr uh, produce for each position, for each of the awards. Anywhere from 50 to 100 kids on the preseason watch list halfway through the year, we uh, cut down to anywhere from 15 to 25 semifinalists. Then the really tough part is picking the finalists because there are always outstanding kids that, you know, you, you just you can't find a spot for. Ultimately, we've got to pick five, sometimes six, uh, finalists at each position, and that means again some very deserving kids that you you couldn't argue against are left off from the finalist list. Um, but we have uh, our staff at WSN, we have some of our media partners that we uh, that we value around the state. And then the uh, fan vote makes up a small part of the voting process as well. Um, the fan vote did not change who would have won this year, just like it has not changed any of the uh, winners in the past. 
but it is a great way to get involvement and engagement and allow people to support their favorite player. So going through the uh, various awards, uh, real quickly, Johnny Davis from Lacrosse Central was the Dave Craig Award winner for top quarterback. Tyler Tenner, not surprisingly, was a uh, pretty convincing winner for the Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch Award as the top senior running back. Tremere DK was a runaway winner for the Altoon Award as the top receiver in the state. Pretty close ballot at the uh, offensive line spot for the Joe Thomas Award. Jack Nelson from Stoughton, Trey Wiedig from Kettle Moraine, both got a lot of support uh, from our voting panel, but ultimately it was Jack Nelson that narrowly edged out Trey Wiedig for the Joe Thomas Award. Both those guys are headed to Wisconsin following in the footsteps of Joe Thomas. The Defensive Line Award, another one that came right, right down to the end. Very, very close vote. Ben Barton from Stratford did win that one. Gavin Meyer was very, very close. Just a, a very small margin off in the voting. The John Anderson Award went to Riley Nowakowski from Marquette. Ben Cryo was right there as well. The Jim Leonard Award for Top Senior Defensive Back, pretty close voting again, but Amon Williams from Milwaukee Riverside, who will walk on at Wisconsin as a preferred walk-on next year, he was selected as the Jim Leonard Award winner. And finally, the Kevin Stemke Award winner for Top Senior Kicker and or Punter went to Jack Van Dyke from Nina, who will also be a preferred walk-on at the University of Wisconsin. So you can check out the full bios, you can check out the full information on those on wisports.net, but you will also see a number of those players playing this week at Camp Randall Stadium. All-state players, award winners, etc. Shaping up to be a great set of games, a great group of games at Camp Randall. And let's take a look at each of those games, walking through kind of some early thoughts, uh, or I guess not early because the championships start tomorrow, but uh, you know, some pregame thoughts, some things that might swing, uh, you know, the, the game, some players to watch, and ultimately, uh, you know, what, what we think might happen. You, you probably saw earlier this week, I did make my predictions as I've done throughout the playoffs on who will win each of the state championship games. And uh, we'll start in Division One, where we've got a really great matchup between a pair of undefeated teams, Muskego, the defending champions, who really broke out last week in a big way against Madison Memorial, and I had a feeling that could be the case. Their offense, their wing tee offense, had kind of been bottled up against uh, Franklin and then against McGuanago, or actually McGuanago and then against Franklin the previous two weeks, but those teams have a lot of familiarity with Muskego and, and have played them tough in the past, so it was not a surprise there. But then when Muskego got against a Madison Memorial team that has not really seen that wing tee, at least to that level, uh, Again, not a surprise that Muskego broke that open. One concern for Muskego coming into the state championship game, Andrew Lear, uh, one of their primary running backs, was injured late in the game against Madison Memorial, and from what I understand, will not be uh, available in the championship game. So that is uh, certainly a blow to the Warriors. On the other side, Bayport head coach uh, and head coach Gary Westerman finally break through. So many close uh, shots, so many great teams that they've had over a, a, a quite a while here, uh, and even going back before Coach Westerman took over, um, but they finally get through. They they take down Kimberly. Um, it, it seemed like in that game, at one point, Bay, Bayport was going to blow it up and, and take a three-score lead late, 
and it didn't happen. And it, then it seemed like Kimberly might make a Kimberly type comeback. They had a, a beautiful pass into the end zone that was dropped for what would have been a touchdown and would have made it a one score game in the fourth quarter. But ultimately, Bayport held on for a 42 28 win. And again, get through to their first state championship game. A team that's really loaded with talent. If you look at the all state team, if you look at the all conference team, um, all region teams, just a ton of uh, top level players there. Uh, you know, we were we were a little worried about uh, the Pirates coming into the playoffs. It certainly seemed like the FRCC was down a good amount this year, and they weren't really challenged and, and didn't have any real fourth quarter type games for a long time. But then they hammered Marquette convincingly, and then uh, take down Kimberly last week to come in to the uh, state championship game. As you saw in my predictions, I did go with Muskego in this one. Um, I think it could be a high-scoring affair, relatively anyways. Both teams have put up a number of uh, points. You know, Both have very talented offenses. Muskego's offense especially uh, could be difficult to uh, you know, get a grasp on for Bayport. Um, so as soon as I say that, certainly expect a 13-10 ball game is the way it'll work. Uh, but I did take Muskego in that one. In Division Two, you know all this consternation that we had about well, who are the good teams? We don't know who they are. We don't we don't know who to pick. Uh, look at all these upsets that happened in Level Two, especially. And it ends up being a 2016 state champion Brookfield East versus 2017 champion Wanakee. Maybe we should have expected that all along. Uh, as I've talked about a, a number of times, it, it sure does feel like deja vu for Brookfield East going back to their 2016 state championship, so many parallels and similarities between those two squads, right down to taking on a Badger conference team in the state championship game. Their defense has really, really been outstanding all season, but especially during this playoff run. Their offense is uh, just hammering away, doing enough, running the football, controlling the game. Um, and as you saw me post on Wisports Sports this week, running the football, as we knew, is is you know, we've known for a long time, is very important, especially late in the season, especially at Camp Randall. If you have fewer pass attempts than your opponent, you're going to win 72% of the time. And Brookfield East is predicated on running the football very much similar to what they did in 2016. Wanakee, we had some questions about, to, to be quite honest with you. After blowing away Monona Grove in week one, a game I was at, I was incredibly impressed with uh, the Warriors in that one. And then they got hit really hard by the injury bug. And, you know, they, they handled things against a uh, pretty overmatched Badger North for the most part until week nine when DeForest beat them pretty handily. And then level one of the playoffs, the, it was 0-0 at halftime against Monona Grove. They had to come back from a two-score deficit to beat Milton. And you're thinking, all right, this, you know, just things aren't adding up. And maybe it's not the year for Pat Rice and company. And then they come out and uh, beat Hartford, undefeated, top-seeded Hartford convincingly. Then they go and, and beat Waukesha West last week relatively convincingly. They uh, had two or three interceptions against Brooks Blount, the uh, outstanding quarterback from West. And things have uh, have started to come along a little bit better for Wanakee. They're still banged up. There's still some injuries and question marks on you know how many of their skill position guys are available fully. Um, but here they are back in a state championship game. I did take Brookfield East to win this one. I, I just like the ability for them to control the clock and uh, a little bit healthier than the Warriors right now. So as uh, Dave Keel, as Steve Jones have done to me several times in the past when I pick against them, don't be surprised to see Pat Rice make me look kind of foolish in this one. 
In Division Three, there is another Badger North Conference team that is in a state final. That is the DeForest Norskies. Weren't challenged too much for uh, most of the season. In fact, uh, did not have a uh, any game less than three scores until last week in the state semifinals when they beat New Berlin Eisenhower 14-9. Their defense came up big, had a couple interceptions late in the last three minutes of that one to hold on. And they take on Menasha, a team playing with a ton of confidence after beating West Appear a couple weeks ago, going for two a couple times late, including in the final minute to beat Menominee last week, 36-35. And this is going to be a fun matchup. Uh, my only concern with the Forest, and this is kind of the concern that I have had a good part of the year, is it, it's an outstanding team with very good depth. There's a lot of really, really good players on the team. But in crunch time, if a play has to be made on offense, you know, is is there a guy that's going to be able to carry them and, and make plays down the stretch in you know in a tight ball game? That's my only concern with the Forest. Um, they've you know they've shown the ability to to handle that quite well so far. Uh, my my view of the Forest is probably skewed a little bit because the only game I've seen of them was in level two against Reedsburg in what was really really bad. Weather conditions, really, really bad field conditions. They only threw the ball, I think, three times in that game. Their top receiver, Lane Larson, did not even catch a pass. So it was a, a little bit different you know, type of ball game than, than what we're likely to see uh, this week at Camp Randall. I did stick with uh, picking DeForest in this one, though, um, but really looking forward to this one. On, you know, on the other side, Menasha, Cole Pop at the quarterback spot, he is the kind of guy that can... Uh, make those kinds of big plays that you need. He's not quite on the level of Tyler Johnson from a few years ago, but he's pretty darn good. And he's a, a veteran quarterback that has a lot of talent in that one. Division four, you know, we've talked about it all, uh, all playoffs and going back before the playoffs when we found out that there was a chance Catholic Memorial could drop down. They've done exactly what we expected them to do. They have dominated completely in the playoffs including a uh, running clock win over River Valley last week. Keel is on the other side. They're the, uh, the opponent for Catholic Memorial. Uh, great to see a, a program that really had not had much success. And then uh, in the last you know, six to eight years have uh, got things turned around under Mike Dressler, who's a longtime head coach. He's been coaching longer than I've been alive. Uh, he's coaching, started coaching the 1970s. Um, great to see them get this opportunity. Uh, but it is difficult to see a path to victory for Keel. Uh, just to put it bluntly and honestly, and I think most people would agree, um, you know, Keel will need to uh, have a lot of things go right. They'll need to have a, uh, you know, win the turnover battle probably by two or three at least. They'll need to probably convert some fourth downs, take some chances. They'll need to hit on a few big plays. They'll need to. Uh, you know, limit big plays, obviously, from Catholic Memorial. And even if all of that happens, Catholic Memorial is so talented and good that it might not matter. Just look back last year at the state title game when Catholic Memorial turned it over two or three times in the first half against West Appear, trailed 24-0, and still won by multiple scores. And I think most would agree that West Appear team, uh, you know, would be significantly step up compared to this Keel team. Uh, again, taking nothing away from Keel, it's just the reality of the situation, that things will have to go perfect, absolutely perfect for Keel to uh, to have a shot in this one, I think. Division 5 game, 
Stratford finally allowed some points last week. A, a little bit of a controversial situation. There was a, a throw in the end zone by Amherst that um, some felt was an interception. Some felt was a catch for Amherst. Some felt was a simultaneous catch, which would be a touchdown. Was ruled a catch. Uh, different replays show uh, different things. I do think that uh, looking at it from a few different angles and seeing some still pictures as well, I think they got it right that it was a catch. But either way, the scoreless streak for Stratford does come to an end. But they did win 19-7, to although they did trail in the third quarter in that one, 7-6, to before scoring a couple late touchdowns to win. 12 straight shutouts, though. Uh, ext extremely impressive for Stratford. Lake Country Lutheran's defense has been very, very good, though, as well. They've only allowed 12 points in the playoffs. You know, this is a little bit different, perhaps, Lake Country Lutheran team than what we've seen in the past, where it was a lot of, uh, you know, offensive firepower. And, um, you know, this is, this is a little different team. Uh, certainly some talented players on offense. I, I, do, uh, I do think that Bryce Hartle, the quarterback for Lake Country Lutheran, who's also an outstanding play, uh, basketball player, by the way, a D1 basketball player, I think he's going to have to have a big game. He's going to have to make some big plays in the passing game because I struggle to see Lake Country Lutheran running the football effectively consistently against Stratford. Um, but ultimately, I do think Stratford's size and physicality and, and just overwhelming defense will be too much for Lake Country Lutheran, and I did pick Stratford in this one. Division six, rematch of a 2012 state title game, Regis and St. Mary Springs. Uh, back then, St. Mary Springs got the win. Um, you know, Regis has come in and, and Bryant Brunner, the head coach at Regis, didn't like when we used this term necessarily uh, on Football Friday Night last week, but they they haven't been challenged a ton. Uh, maybe we'll put it that way. Uh, I think three scores is the closest game that they've had this year. Their running game has just dominated opponents, that single wing, or excuse me, double wing offense. Um, you know, just just churning away. Uh, with a number of different backs that they can put back there and, and run the football. Um, in St. Mary Springs, they had a tough start, started 0-2 against a tough schedule, but rebounded, and Bob Hyland finds a way. Two shutouts in a row for their defense, impressive as well. Big physical football team, uh, should be a great matchup. I, I like Regis on paper, I like Regis in a lot of ways, I picked Regis, but there always seems to be something that says, you know what, Bob Hyland's going to find a way to get it done. And it would not be a surprise to see that happen in this one. Although, again, I did pick Regis in this one. And finally, Division 7, the game that begins things tomorrow, Thursday at 10 a.m., a rematch of last year's state championship game that hopefully is a little bit cleaner game than what we saw last year. Both Edgar and Blackhawk had uh, a number of mistakes and turnovers in the first half last year, but it was Blackhawk that was able to get things cleaned up, and they would go on to win 22-15 in a... Uh, a game where Edgar made about as many mistakes as they have ever made in a game, which is good and bad. Uh, obviously, Blackhawk got the win, but it also is uh, you know, a little bit telling that Edgar only lost by a touchdown and had a chance late uh, despite playing so poorly. Now, Blackhawk did outplay them in the second half for sure. Uh, if you look at the, uh, the yardage totals and everything in the second half, it was dominated by Blackhawk, but Edgar still had their shot. Both teams uh, are top-seeded. Edgar does have the one loss to Stratford. Blackhawk Warren is uh, undefeated. And, of course, Blackhawk is in a co-op now with Warren, Illinois. Picked up a few players there, um, but still kept their enrollment in Division 7. Um, it just it should be a great game. I, I did pick Edgar in this one. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. 
that this year's Blackhawk team is better than last year's Blackhawk team, but I think Edgar's team this year might be better than last year's Edgar team, uh, but should be a great game nonetheless. So some outstanding players, some outstanding teams on tap this week at Camp Randall Stadium, and make sure that you're following along on all of our coverage at wisports.net. It's a fun time of the year. It's kind of our reward at the end of the year, just like it is the players and the teams and the coaches, just like it is the fans that get to watch all the games. It's kind of our reward at the end of the year to be able to take in all this great action, hang out up at the press box at Camp Randall Stadium, head into the WFCA hospitality area inside the, uh, the field house, um, chat with a lot of people, see some of our, our friends from the various media outlets around the state, coaches, uh, fans, etc. Just a great way to, uh, to connect and get everybody in one location and enjoy some great high school football. If you've followed us for a while, if you've uh, you know seen what we do in the past, we're not going to you know post play by play and you know really worry a ton about uh, you know I guess updates <laughs> per se uh, live from the uh, from the state finals. Most people are going to be watching anyway, whether it's uh, on TV, whether it's streaming online, what have you, or maybe they'll be listening, or you can follow the game on. Um, on the live stats that the WIAA provides, there's, there's a lot of different ways to get those kinds of updates. So what we're going to do is kind of fill in the blanks on some of the other things. You know, provide analysis and reaction, certainly, but also, you know, what's the, what's the vibe like at Camp Randall? What's the crowd like? What's the students or the uh, fan sections like? Um, you know, what are other things going on around the, uh, around the event? What is the press box food situation? That's always the biggest thing, obviously. The most important thing, the food uh, selection at Camp Randall Stadium, which going off of the, uh, the past, it'll be some sodas and uh, hot chocolate, coffee, big giant bags of popcorn that were popped I don't know how long ago, and uh, hot dogs that some people aren't necessarily high on. Um, I think they're fine, but we'll, uh, we'll see. So looking forward to a great week of games. And, and by the way, if you're wondering about any information for the state championships, what TV station the games are on, because by the way, if you checked out our FAQ article, some of the games are on FS Wisconsin, but the games on Thursday night are going to be on FS Wisconsin Plus, because I believe there's a Bucks game that night that will air on FS Wisconsin. So you're going to have to dig around and find where that, uh, that alternate channel, that Plus channel is on your local listings, or you can watch it online or on any of the uh, Fox Sports Go apps on your phone, on uh, Fire TV, Apple TV, Android TV, uh, Roku, etc. But if you're looking for any information, you can find it in that FAQ article. I will probably uh, get about 25 requests for things that we already posted about, but that's okay. Uh, also in there, by the way, is the carry-in policy. If you're heading to the games, just be aware that there's some things that you can't take in that maybe you thought you could. Whether it's a camera bag, a Binox bag, you can take cameras, you can take binoculars, but you just can't take the bags for them. Um, you know, obviously, obvious things like weapons and food and things like that, but no noisemakers. You can take a small bag in. It's basically like a, a, a women's clutch. Um, or you can take a clear tote up to 12 inches by 12 inches by 6 inches. But they're pretty tight about that stuff. They'll probably ask you to unzip your coat, do a visual inspection, check your bags. Just be ready for it. Um, 
So check out our FAQ article if you have any questions. If you have any other questions, you know, tweet at me at TravisWSN. And we're uh, looking forward to putting a capper on the 2019 high school football season. Until then, I am Travis Wilson, the general manager at Wisports.net. This has been a Wisports.net podcast. We'll see you at the games.